Happy New Year, everyone! Welcome to episode 12 of the Raindrop Corner, which legit is pretty much episode 2 of season 2. It's been a hot minute since I've uploaded an EP, but it's no time like the present. I've had a very interesting year so far, and I feel like I've learned a lot doing the podcast and just with the guests that I've been interviewing. It's been a huge learning experience and really kind of changed my perception of why I do this. And initially it was to reach individuals in the community who were creative and inspiring, not only to learn, but to kind of give them a platform and to also kind of grow that net of awareness. So many times we kind of pass each other by in everyday life and we do these amazing things and we don't even realize what our neighbor does. So this was kind of my way of of doing that and really kind of putting feelers out in Jacksonville just to kind of see, you know, what I would find and who I would find. And that's been a really enriching experience for me. Now I'm going to stop rambling and get to the point. This week's guest was amazing. Um, Drew Hunter, who was introduced to me by a friend, is a very formidable, prolific artist who has done everything from creating pieces for plays to playing Bozo the Clown on television to working at a prominent position at Sally Corp. And Sally Corporation is a great company. They create these wonderful amusement attractions and pieces to create this really visceral experience as you visit the park in this ambiance that just kind of takes you away. So it was a really fun interview and I got to let the art history side of me come out. I love art and it was nice to look at it from a philosophical point of view. But more than anything, my favorite part about this interview is just how Drew Hunter kind of is proof that you can be an artist. It might be a harder journey, but you don't necessarily have to follow that that cliche or that canon thing where you go to college and you have to follow these steps to become a certain type of person. And that's okay if you do go to college and follow those steps. But for those of you who are aspiring musicians, aspiring writers, wherever you might fit on the artistic spectrum, you can do it if you really want to and if you're passionate about it. Of course, everybody's journey is different. Everybody achieves different levels of success, but it was just really inspiring to talk to somebody who truly dedicated their entire life to art and it paid off because they just had so much passion about it and they were so versatile in everything they did. So I hope that you all like this interview and I will see you all next time. Today we have Drew Hunter with us. Super excited to do this interview. You have a wonderful wealth of pieces that you've done and things that you've kind of worked on, whether it's playing Bozo the Clown on TV, your work on radio, the different art pieces that you've done over the years currently, or there's about to be a play by the name of Pontypool that's going to run and feature some of your pieces kind of describing several words that are shown in the play. And your artwork is just 
so whimsical, so surreal, and it's just refreshing. And aside from that, even your work that you've done at Sally Corp, where you put so much intricate detail into the attractions that you build bit by bit. So thank you so much for being here today. What kind of sparked your creativity? I have to say that um, I believe my, I mean, there are certain just, there's certain, there's certain imagination and spark and creative spark just built into certain people. And I think everyone has a potential for it, but some people do not embrace it or they have been, they have been led to not embrace it or been scared to embrace it or shy to embrace it or don't understand it and so on. While some people embrace it and usually at a very early age, mine came about, uh, I believe, and was, was, was kicked off and, and sparked. Uh, when I saw the movie uh, Walt Disney's uh, Fantasia. That was the very first movie I ever saw when I was about two. And I don't remember that consciously, but I'm sure it had it ingrained a lot of vivid imagery and sound in my, you know, my very, very, very young mind back in those days. And then in about, when I was about eight or nine, my mom took me to a reissue of the film. Uh, the movie originally came out in 1940. Well, I'm not that old yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that old. But, but uh, <laughs> in the late 50s, um, they reissued the movie every, every like six, seven years or something. And, and uh, so when I, my parents, my mom took me to it uh, in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, at a movie theater downtown, when I was about eight or nine, and that is what really changed my life. At that moment, uh, I, I knew that the arts, uh, storytelling, color, design, movement, music would all be a major, major part of my life. Uh, in fact, um, after the movie, I had a birthday coming up, and uh, I asked my mom, I said, I'd like to have all the music from that movie, from the movie we just, from Fantasia. Well, my parents, you know, we had a record player, an old record player, and they had a bunch of records and such, but my parents were not into classical music particularly, and uh, no real background there. Uh, my mom knew a little bit about it, but, but not, not more than anybody average, I guess. Anyway, my mom went out to a local record store in Shreveport, local neighborhood record store, talked with the lady, and said, my son wants all the music from Fantasia, and my mom and the lady picked out various albums with the Sorcerer's Apprentice, the Dance of the Hours, the Night on Bald Mountain, et cetera, et cetera. And my mom presented those to me on my birthday, where my grandfather bought me a little bitty uh, record player that would, you know, was capable of 33 and a third RPM LPs uh, back in the day. And um, uh, inter it, curiously, uh, I still have that. I still have that little mm. record player. That's really it cool. Does it still work? But it's survived ever since the late fifties. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that all that just all that sparked my love of that. And I will also say another influence was my first trip to Disneyland. First time I went to Disneyland in California it was two years after it opened. It opened in nineteen fifty eight. Uh, excuse me, fifty five. First time I went to it was nineteen fifty seven, and I went on the. Peter Pan Flight Dark Ride, the Snow White Dark Ride, and the Mr. Toad Wild Ride Dark Ride. All of those made a gigantic impression on me. And I, so somehow I knew one of these days, 
somehow I was going to tie in my music of my, my, my love of music, my love of storytelling, my love of uh, the dark ride experience into a professional situation, which is how I finally ended up. That's really cool. I, I feel like Fantasia is just one of those movies that's so visceral. It kind of captures you. I re- it wasn't the first Disney movie that I saw, but I remember seeing it when I was five or six years old, and it was my first introduction to classical music, and it kind of sparked a love in me as well. That movie introduced many people uh, to classical music, which was one of the reasons Disney made the movie back in 1940, because there wasn't as, you know, there were movies, of course, and there was radio, but there was no television. And um, and and it was it was the third feature film that Disney uh, made. First one was Snow White, of course. The second one was Pinocchio. Then later in the year, later in 1940, he released Fantasia, which was really an experimental film for the time. Nobody had seen anything quite like it, and and it um, it broke new ground in, in many areas. And it's classic examples of storytelling color, visual, you know, visual motifs, and so on and so forth. So, and I'm also enhanced, uh, my, my development was also enhanced by my, uh, my uh, grandfather and my, my grandmother, uh, who um, were great storytellers, my grand, and my dad, too, really, uh, really, really good storytellers. So that all, all that stuff combined, you know, all these influences combined to make us who we are as adults. And uh, I was very, very pleased to have all that, you know, come my way at a very early age. One thing that you said earlier also stuck out. You said there are a combination of people who embrace artistry and some who don't. And it, I, I find it really interesting how you were able to pull from those different channels in your life to kind of bring out all these dreams and things that you fulfilled. Well, that's that's true. And... And I will, I will also say that, that I have to give my parents incredible credit. My parents and my, my grandparents, my, my mom's mom and dad um, particularly, for always encouraging me. I was very, very fortunate because I've talked with a lot of people who have great creative souls but who felt very inhibited and even held back and even prohibited sometimes uh, for being the creative and artistic people that they really, really deeply are by people who thought that was a waste of time or you can't make money at it or you can't make a living at it or, or, or it's just not, you know, it's not a proper way to spend your time or something. I've talked with all kinds of people who, who did not have a luxury of very supportive parents who, who, who mine, uh, have always been. And, and, um, you know, and I would say to, to people who, who say that, uh, well, you can't make a living doing art like that. Well, I'm proof positive you can make a living doing some sort of art, and there are many people who can, but it doesn't have to be just about making a living. It can be just about enjoyment. You can be a bank teller or an accountant or whatever and still do art on your own time, and it'd be thoroughly, thoroughly involved and enjoy it and, enjoy it and fulfilled. So... There's a lot of ways to do that, and it's just a matter of saying you can and embracing it and doing it. That's very true. I remember um, during high school, it was a strange period of time, which just for context was about maybe 12, 14 years ago, around the time this happened. We had an arts program, and they started to take the arts programming away because we just didn't have 
funding for it. And I remember one of our art teachers kind of telling us the same thing. He found after school programs and just things to do to kind of keep us artistically active. So I, I definitely agree with that. And I'm, I'm super excited about your exhibit that's coming up, by the way, um, by the name of Verba, the words of Pontypool. I'm actually going to see it tomorrow. But um, I know it features different pieces that you've made that kind of represent words in the yeah. in the performance interesting you know everything has such interesting origins if you really begin dissecting how these things happen and going back um when we were doing a uh, a project here at sally corporation uh, uh several years back for a walk through haunted attraction in a park in sweden <laughs> uh, uh, i was a lead designer on all that Mm -hmm. And I incorporated in the design a lot of video. We were using a lot of video, so we had to have that video produced. We found a place here in Jacksonville to do that, and I assembled uh, 12 or 13 friends to help out with the video, uh, being in the video. One of the friends, one of the people, was a very, very dear friend uh, from New York, and she asked her daughter to be in it. The daughter is named Stephanie, and Stephanie is the director of Pontypool now out at uh, the um, Players by the Sea in Jacksonville Beach. Well, we stayed in touch, and when I heard that she was the director of that, and I read about Pontypool, the, the story of the, of the play and how it came to be and so on and so forth, I thought, wow, um, that would be a great opportunity to offer my services and do some sort of a theme lobby art exhibit. Also, helping with that production was our creative designer here at Sally Corporation, Rich Hill, who lives out at the beach. And uh, he, was, he was helping them out with some special effects and some special makeup effects and this and that and the other, some stagecraft elements. So he was involved with that, and I thought, well, I could do, I'm not involved with the play itself, but I could offer my services. So I talked with Stephanie about it. They had a couple of ideas of what they might want to do in the lobby. Um, but, uh, uh, I had my own specific idea and I said, well, let me just, she said, well, what is it? And I presented it and she liked it. I said a sample little you know, drawing of one of the pieces that I might do, uh, which she showed the board of the theater, I guess, and the management of the theater. And anyway, they finally approved it. And I started to work on this exhibit. <laughs> so it was, it was a vision on my part to do something out there. I have done some theme art exhibits for plays in the past, mm -hmm. many, many years ago. So I really enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed tackling a single theme and developing it. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's kind of where this came from. That's really cool. When you... When you actually look at a play, so you have your story, because I know that all forms of art have their own sort of story, but when you are examining a play or a performance and then you're creating pieces of artwork that go along with it, what is your process, if you don't mind me asking? Well, no, no, of course. Um, well, it depends on the play. Uh, many years ago, I did a lobby exhibit for the musical Pippin which was very, very popular back in the 1960s. It was really great. Play. And it's a great, great play. It was revived on Broadway a few years ago. I don't know whether it's still running or not, but um, it's always been one of my favorites. I think it has a great message to it. It's wonderful music. It was originally directed by Bob, the great Bob Fosse, starred um, 
gosh, what was his name? Um, boom, I've gone blank. Anyway, uh, it was a remarkable, remarkable uh, production. I saw a, um, a touring production of Pippin, and it was coming to my hometown of Shreveport, Louisiana. Somehow or another, I arranged to do a small lobby art exhibit for the one or two nights that that play was going to be performing in my hometown. In that situation, I took some, uh, inspired by some songs from the play, mm-hmm. characters in the play, not necessarily moments in the play. I wasn't trying to recreate in art a scene from the play. People could go to the play and see that. What I was trying to do is in, in just pr- produce some some moments inspired by the play. And so that's what I did. Uh, I actually still have one of those paintings in my home in Springfield <laughs> that uh, has somehow survived all these years. The rest of them, I guess, I gave away, or maybe I, I think I sold a few, too, way back. For Pontypool, it was much more difficult. This was a real challenge because my usual style of painting is, is or, or and drawing is, is very detailed, it's very exacting. It's very calculated and and uh, very definite. What I wanted to do with Pontypool was do some pieces that were completely just loose form. Well, as loose form as I could do anyway. <laughs> and and uh, I, I called, I, I developed my little process, which I labeled um, uh, Sudden Spontaneous Combustive creativity, which sounds amazing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Sudden combustive cre- uh, cre- uh, uh, creative, um, uh, combustive creativity, and that's kind of how I worked. I'd go, I go, I, I, I sketched out a series of panels, quarter inch plyboard panels, just random shapes. Each I, there was no rhyme or reason to these shapes. Just a bunch of different shapes and different sizes. The longest one is like six feet by two feet. The smallest one's probably four feet by maybe maybe two and a half, three feet. And uh, I had them cut out, took them back home, and began base coating them, and then just applying stuff to them. Uh, applied glue and uh, and tissue paper, and I applied spackling, and I applied spray foam, and I applied all kinds of stuff, and, tish- and all kinds of things, and... Um, wound up with all these interesting backgrounds going on. Uh, and and then I began assigning words to them. Now, the play is a very high-concept horror-thriller play of sorts uh, that um, it's, it's, it's a really intense play, and it deals with words, what they think they mean, and how they need to be twisted to mean other things based on the plot of the play. Uh, and I was given by Stephanie, the director, uh, a list of many of these words. I chose uh, 12 of those words mm-hmm. to visualize. So when you see the art, it's not an explanation of the word. It's just my instinctive gut reaction of how I felt. And, and at the last moment, I was changing words from panel to panel. <laughs> you know, it was that loose and that 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 uh, loose of a form to this process, which is what I wanted to do because that really is not like the way I work. So this was this was not only 
a, a challenge to produce an art exhibit that tied in and was inspired by this particular play, but it was also a challenge creatively for me, which I needed at the time, uh, to, uh, to go a different route uh, with my art. I don't know whether I'll ever do that again or not. I may, not sure. Uh, I found it very challenging and very difficult, but ultimately very rewarding. It sounds like it was a heck of an adventure. And I and I just going through your gallery and, and kind of looking at it, like I had a lot of pieces that kind of stood out to me, such as banded and uprooted. I love the fluidity of your pieces. Um, it's It feels like it's moving toward you and you're able to kind of put yourself in the scene. So I'm really... I'm really excited to see what you've come up with. Sometimes when it's something that we're a little bit more unfamiliar with, it it kind of comes out amazingly. It gives us a sense of awareness of what we can do. So I'm sure that as an artist, it probably gave you something wonderful. It did. And you know, you mentioned the fluidity when you're looking at some of my pieces on, on online. Um, that is an interesting, fairly new development too. Um, a number of years ago, I did a, a, a Halloween-themed exhibit uh, over at the Carpolis in Springfield. Mm-hmm. This is about four or five years ago, at least. And uh, I developed a whole new series of paintings for that particular exhibit. And I have a very dear friend who I've known for many, many, many years who was very familiar with my artwork and so on. And he came to the exhibit, and he came up to me and he said, Drew, this is, all, this is a new style for you. Where did this come from? This this look, this very fluid look, as 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 you as, as you mentioned in the uh, uprooted painting, and then many of the other ones. If you look at the clouds, and if you look at the um, you know various textures and this and that and the other, uh, there's there is a great deal of fluidity in, in many of the paintings. And I said, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it just, it just started coming out that way, and and I've developed that more and more. I'm working on three paintings right now in my studio that uh, uh, have that same sort of look to them, that same sort of look as a trio of paintings. But, but I mean, something that's kind of interesting about that fluidity you mentioned, and that, that relates to a conversation we just had a few minutes ago <clears throat> about Fantasia and about those records my mom bought me with the music from Fantasia. One of the records was Mazorsky's a Night on Bald Mountain. One of my favorites. Which is, yeah, which is the, one of the final sequences in Fantasia and certainly one of the most remarkable pieces of, of hand-drawn cell animation. This is way before computer graphics and computer imagery, way before any of that. This was all done by hand and, and by other special effects measures that they, that they and techniques that they knew. Anyway, this, uh, this particular uh, album that my mom bought me, on the cover of the album, it had one of the inspirational sketches that the Danish artist Kai Nielsen did for the Disney Studios when they were developing the look of the Night on Bald Mountain animated sequence. He did a bunch of, uh, he, was a, he was a very famed children's book illustrator, and he did a lot of his work in pastels. But, and they reprinted on the cover of this album one of those pieces in color pastels 
showing the the uh, Chernabog demon at the top of the mountain with the spirits flowing around and all these clouds swirling and so on. That is what I believe uh, was very embedded in my in my mind uh, in my in my creative mind, and that began emerging years later in my artwork. That is what inspired it, as far as I'm concerned. It's amazing what we store in our subconscious and what can come to the forefront. You mentioned the clouds, and that was one of the other things that stuck out. Going back to a piece that you did called Bandit, where you have a tree that's very old, and it's got inner energy inside of it. The tree is standing still, and it's odd because even though the tree is stationary, it does seem like it's moving. The branches have a bit of movement to them, and the clouds around them feels like the rest of the world. They're constantly in motion, and there's this tree that's kind of seeing everything that passes by. And oh, I, that's a beautiful interpretation, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love art, and I'm, I'm a writer as well. I'm nowhere near as talented as you in the, the painting department. <laughs> but I dabble, and I just... I love the the story, and I love the feeling that you get when you become immersed in a piece of art. It's a great feeling. It really is. Sit in the studio. I sit in my studio, and I play music. Uh, my cats will come in and say hello, and they'll usually be asleep <laughs> down on the floor. And if I'm working at my at my my drawing table, you know, it's a constant battle of keeping uh, Medusa the cat off of the artwork. And uh, that's an amazing <laughs> name, by the way. I love the name. <laughs> yeah, I have I have four I have four cats in my house. I have, the oldest is is Madame Medusa, and the, Madame Medusa the snake charmer. I call her because when she first came to my house as a kitten, she had found a snake and presented it to me on my back porch. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was years ago. So I put the snake. She didn't kill the snake. I just put the snake down in the garden to go eat go eat bugs, whatever you need to do. And uh, you were a beautiful little little animal and a uh, little little kitty cat. And uh, uh, she was lost. And I tried to find a home for her. Couldn't find a home. Nobody claimed her, so I took her in. Then I have uh, Fellini, uh, named after the famous Italian movie director uh, of the sixties and seventies and early eighties, uh, Frederico Fellini. And uh, then I have uh, another little uh, cat that was a um, feral cat who befriended me, uh, and I befriended her, named uh, Theta B. That's, she's named after the famous silent film actress Theta Barra, oh, that's who, awesome. had, who was always known for very, very thick makeup around her eyes, very eye, deep, dark eyeliner. And this cat has that. <laughs> <laughs> and then she had kittens, and I, I adopted three of them out, but kept a little girl named her Greta G after the famous classic Hollywood actress Greta Garbo. If you remember her, her, her catchphrase very often has come down in popular culture is, I want to be alone. Yes. <laughs> and Greta does. Greta wants to be alone. She, she, she eats separately from the other three. She sleeps separately from the other three. The other three will be all sleeping with me at night, and she'll be in the other room. Um, she she's just more reticent and enjoys her privacy, just like the real Greta Garbo did. <laughs> <laughs> I I appreciate your taste in names. Those are amazing names after really cool individuals. I had I had uh, one cat who passed away a few years ago very suddenly. She was named uh, uh, Miss Merman, 
Miss Merman. <laughs> and she was named after the famous Broadway and screen star and singer Ethel Merman, who had like a super loud voice. <laughs> Ethel Merman was known for her very, very powerful and loud voice. And when uh, I adopted uh, Little Merman, when she was just a wee baby, um, she, you could hear her cry from one end of the house to the other. She was, she was so loud and always was like that. She talked and made more noises than any cat I have ever met. <laughs> she had a personality. Oh my gosh. Oh, all, <laughs> all the cats do. And you know, I always tell people, I, I run into people occasionally who say, well, I don't like cats. And I said, well, I said, that's, that's too bad because, you know, people play, people say, oh, the cats are, they're so aloof and, you know, they're not friendly and they're not affectionate. And I go, oh, BS, that is so baloney. That is so much baloney. It's how you treat them just like any other living creature. It's how you treat it, how you tend it, how you respect it. And uh, these cats, my cats, I can speak of since I, they live with me. And, well, I guess I kind of live with them in a sense. Uh, and, and they... Um, they are such affectionate and wonderful creatures to come home to. I agree with that. Mine are too. I have two of them. One's named Skittles and the other one's <laughs> named <laughs> Rosie. Skittles is very, very sweet, very affectionate. Rosie is very standoffish, but she's also very sweet once she gets to know you. And I feel like just, right, right, yeah, just right. like, just like a human being, you know, if you have some individuals that are more reserved than others, and I kind of attribute the same thing to cats. Humans can be just as mischievous as a cat well, can right. be. That's right. I, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, people tend to kind of understand dogs more, mm -hmm. and they will. Any any dog owner will say that all oh, their dogs have various personalities and so on. It's the same way with cats. And and uh, my cats, I have two of my cats. If you come to my house. Two of my cats will be there and be your best friend instantly. That would be uh, that would be um, uh, uh, Medusa and Fellini. They they've <laughs> never met strangers. The other two are more reticent. Uh, but once you come a few times, once you come to the house a few times and hang out, they'll come up to you. But the other two are just right there. So they all have their different personalities, just like we do. I want to secretly admit that I do want to come to your house. You call it the museum. It. It looks amazing and it sounds amazing. I think it's wonderful that you've turned your entire house into a piece of art that's very versatile in every area of it. Can you tell me a little bit about what that journey was like for you? Kind of. Yes, it was, that, that, that's a, yeah, I, I enjoy talking about that. It's a, it was a, this is a lifelong dream of mine. I, I've lived in a lot of great places. Uh, before I moved to this particular house in Springfield, I lived in Old Arlington up near the river, just off the river, uh, in a uh, 1959 mid-century modern roundhouse. And that was a great experience, too. But I, was, I had always, I'd lived in Springfield, historic Springfield here in Jacksonville, um, back in 2000. We leased a house there with my with my partner and, and another friend, and we we uh, leased a house there uh, for two and a half years. They wanted to us to buy that house. I did not want to buy that house. Could not find anything else there, so we found the I found the roundhouse over in Arlington. But what I wanted to do was get another big old house in Springfield. Part of that again goes back, you know, as I as we discussed at the beginning. Um, that goes back to 
past experiences. The very first house I was taken into from the hospital after I was born, I was taken into on Halloween morning, 1949, uh, to my grandparents' house in Shreveport, which was a 1906 beautiful big old house. That oh, wow. old, kind of old, old beautiful home was embedded in me from the very beginning. Uh, I lived in that house later on as a uh, young adult and uh, into my into my early 30s, lived in that house too. But then I always wanted to have another house like that with a big front porch and a big beautiful staircase inside and uh, have room after room that I could create interesting, captivating, and relaxing environments. Um, I have to say that another influence was the 1960s early TV sitcom, The Adams Family. I love that show. Uh, if you remember their house, of course it was a, it was a studio set. It was on a you know, soundstage somewhere in, in California, but in Hollywood, but uh, uh, I was always inspired by that. I loved The Adams Family, and I loved their attitude. I loved the whole feel of that show, and I loved their odd and strange items they had in their house. And I didn't want to recreate that. I didn't want to copy that. But I want to do my own version of it. So uh, I bought this house in uh, March of 2016. And I looked for almost four years for a house. Just looked at tons of houses. No one thought I was ever going to really buy one because I kept looking for <laughs> one. Uh, everybody was going, yeah, well, you, you know, you're one of those lookers. You'll look and look and look and look, but you're not going to do anything. Well, I, well, I was determined to do something. I just had to get the right one. And, and uh, I found it. Um, so moved in beginning of March 2016. The house was on the Springfield home Springfield uh, Spring Home Tour in 2017 and uh, uh, had a well over a thousand people come through the house in two afternoons. <laughs> that was interesting. That was a great experience. Uh, so I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it and, and I've tried to, most of the places I have always lived have, and this one too, obviously, I've tried to create a feeling of real peace and comfort and welcome and it is different. It's it's not the kind of thing that probably most families are going to want to live in just because there's a lot of odd, strange things. Nothing awful, nothing disgusting, just interesting and weird stuff, at least. It's, and it's beautiful to me. Uh, but everybody, it, I have a movie room. I have a, a movie theater titled the uh, 20,000 Leagues Theater. That's awesome. That is, of course, inspired by the Jules Verne uh, novel and, in particular, the Walt Disney 1954 movie with the uh, Nautilus as designed by uh, Disney uh, Imagineer Harper Goff. And I have, it's, again, it's not a copy of the Nautilus or anything, but it's inspired by it. I have a model of the Nautilus in there. And um, on one wall, I have painted the tentacles of the uh, squid. <laughs> so you can sit there and, uh, and I have lighting effects. It makes you feel like you're underwater. Um, <laughs> So it's, a, it's kind of a cool room. Then I have a, I have a library. Uh, I designed these library shelves and had them made and brought in soon after I moved into the house. And that's called the Dragon's Lair Library. So naturally, there are dragons everywhere. Uh, there are dragon heads at the top of each of the big bookcases, dragon sculptures all over the room, got a dragon table, 
uh, Dragon Lamp, all kinds of stuff like that. It sounds like you would give Daenerys a run for her money. I'm sorry? <laughs> I said it sounds like you would give Daenerys a run for her money. <laughs> <laughs> and I have another little room that's called the Crazy Hat Lounge. Crazy Hat Lounge. And that's, that's because we, uh, for many, many, many years, uh, we, uh, every Easter, uh, make crazy, outrageous, funny, fun, colorful bonnets, hats, that we go down to St. Augustine and enjoy Easter. And you watch their Easter parade and wear these hats and walk around. That's all we do. It sounds like and a lot of fun. I have a whole collection of those, plus other hats that I've made for other occasions on display in this room. And it has a little bar in there and a nice place just to sit and visit. Uh, let's see, what else? I have a room. Uh, I have a pirate room upstairs in my house. Yeah, That's uh, awesome. small. It used to be a porch. It's a very small enclosed porch, uh, and it's the uh, it's the uh, crew of the Loving Dead. Uh, the Den actually is called the Den of the Loving Dead. Loving Dead is a carnival crew that we came up with many years ago, and we dress up like zombie pirates and go to New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> and and as I call, I say we part, we pillage, plunder, and party throughout the French Quarter. Best way to travel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, then I have a studio and a number of other, you know, other rooms. How long did it take you to make all of that and with the models well, and the other? You know, I, I, when I moved in, I attacked this house. <laughs> I attacked this house with great creative ferocity. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Looking back on it, I have no clue how I did it. I, I mean, everybody goes, when, when people came to the home tour in May of 2017, that was just, uh, what, a, uh, a year and what, maybe three months since I had moved in, a couple of months since I had moved in. And people going, you, well, you, you must, have been live, look, must have lived here for years. Like, no, 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 I just, you know, just moved in then. And they would go, I can't believe it. So looking back at that time, I had I had a couple of friends who really helped with. I have one particular uh, lady friend who painted, repainted all the rooms for me. We chose colors. You know, she's been and she she continues to this day working on the house, painting, trim, and this and that and the other. And then I've had other people help with various things, and I've just found stuff on Craigslist uh, during the spring the Springfield uh, kind of. Uh, you know, for sale list things around the around the neighborhood, and other things that I found online, and assembled all this stuff, and and uh, this was this was the result of years and years and years of wanting to do this, and I finally had my big house canvas, big empty house, to do whatever I wanted to do in. Nobody and the, the cats just said, you know, love us. Feed us, pet us, <laughs> do whatever you want. I don't care what room any color. I don't care what color any room is, you know. Um, and and um, so it is. It is a pretty unique and interesting place. But it, like I said, it also has a great sense of comfort and welcoming. And uh, though it is different, uh, and um, uh, so yeah, you need you need to come over and see it. I would love to come over and see it. That sounds amazing. Also. I'm obsessed with dragons and pirates as well. So that sounds really, really exciting. Well, you have come to the right place. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? 
<laughs> but it's it's impressive how you've been able to get all of that together. Do you have a favorite room? I know that's probably a loaded question and probably hard to answer because you look at it as a central piece, as a singular piece. But do you have a room that stands out for you in terms of which kind of has a special place in your heart a little bit more? Well, I guess, I guess probably if I had to pick one, um, I would say it's called the Red Table Room. It's a room I have upstairs, mm -hmm. and it's a very unusual room. I mean, even more unusual, perhaps, than the rest. And some people may not really get into this room. Uh, I mean, they can literally enter, but they may not want to. <laughs> <laughs> and and that it, uh, it is dominated literally by a big red round table, six foot diameter table. And this is a this is a room inspired by my love of the macabre and the um, strange and of the unusual and of the off kilter of the bizarre. Uh, in my career, I designed a couple of Ripley, believe it or not, museums mm -hmm. way back, and uh, so my it's obviously there's some influences of that. It's a it's an amalgamation, a collection of all kinds of little pieces and items that I have collected over the years. Some of the stuff is authentic, some of the stuff is reproductions or fake, uh, but, the, but the cumulative feel of the room is highly mystical and strange. It is not, in my estimation, scary at all. That is not in the intent of the room. It's not a haunted house. Uh, I guess it depends on someone's perception. They may think of it that way, but that's not what it is. It is... Um, uh, a, in, in my opinion, an extremely comfortable room for a few people to sit around the table, have some beverages, some libations, and just chat. Um, I have had tarot card readings done in there, which, nice. uh, which are really, really interesting. People, the, 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 most people just sort of label it as the seance room. <laughs> There's never been a seance in there. I've never had a seance in there, you know. Uh, there is a Ouija board over to the side, but uh, there, I've never done a, a, a seance in there and or anything like that. Uh, as I said, there have been some very, very interesting and provocative tarot card readings um, and great conversations. It's a, it's, a, it's a relaxing room. And curiously, it's the one room that Greta, Greta G, the cat, that's her favorite room to hang out in. She's got good yeah. taste. Yeah, she goes in there and, and naps, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so that uh, when you see it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a it's a most unusual and unique room that that um, that uh, has a distinct. The second you walk in, it it has a distinct attitude and and look that you can't forget. Those are oftentimes the best places. I, I consider myself pretty weird. I think it's a good re weird. And even you, you sound like a, the best kind of weird. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope so. Uh, you know, uh, somebody, you know, it's, it's, this is just the way, this is the way that I developed and, and uh, been able to, to very fortunately uh, make a living off a lot of this stuff and certainly enjoy it and share it. And, um, that's not to everyone's taste, of course, but that's fine. But when I had when I had the when I had the uh, spring tour 
in 2017, it was really interesting walking, seeing all the people come in the house and look, start looking around because uh, most people got it. They realized, okay, here's this curious gentleman who lives here that, that uh, has done this house up like this and, and so on and so forth. Um, there were a few people who, uh, who uh, although they found it interesting, you know, one of them walked up to me at one point, um, said, um, well, this is, a, this is a, a lovely, this is really interesting and very strange. I don't think I'd want to live here. And I looked at them and I said, well, good. <laughs> I'm glad you don't. <laughs> it's, it's, first of all, you don't. And secondly, you're not going to. And uh, that's okay, you know, as long as you enjoy it and so on. But the best comment I ever had regarding the Drusium uh, happened the second day of the, of the spring tour in 2017. Mm-hmm. I was standing in my foyer looking out front, and two friends from the neighborhood were walking up to my house to come on the tour. Some lady exited the front door. I do not know who she was. I've never seen her before. She exits the front door, goes down the steps, and stops my two friends when they're walking up. She said something to them. They looked at her, and then the lady went around them and exited out of the yard. <laughs> my friends came in the house. I said, who was that? What did she say to you? And they went, we, we don't know who that was. I said, well, what did she say? She, they said, well, she walked right up to us and looked us in the faces, and she said, be prepared, <laughs> and then walked away. <laughs> and I thought that was so perfect. I thought that was just absolutely brilliant. I want, I want to put it in gold and put, a, put it on my door. You should. <laughs> you should do that. It sounds almost scary. It sounds almost like a threat, but that's not, that's not the intent. It's just that it's different. And, and uh, I have so many people that now come over to the house, and it's just like almost like their second home. Uh, and they, they, uh, uh, it's just a nice place to relax and kick back. It definitely sounds like it. I, I feel like from what you've told me so far that you've kind of cultivated this hominess in everything that you do, whether it's your living space, the projects that you've created in the places that you've worked, kind of reverting back to your work history. How, how did you kind of enter into the workforce in terms of the creative facet of it? Well, I, uh, I knew that I always wanted to do something art-related. Uh, a lot of people have that dream, too. And I, I, um, I went through high school, uh, college, majored in fine arts. Did a little bit of um, did a little bit of commercial art training as well. Back way back, on, all those techniques are history now. They're all antiquated. Everything I learned <laughs> was totally antiquated <laughs> now. But but um, I eventually. Uh, Managed to get a job at a local television station in Shreveport, Louisiana, as graphics director for the TV station. That was in about 73 or so, 73, 74, 74 maybe. And um, went to work for that. Then uh, worked for them for many years. And along the way, I moved to New Orleans, lived in the French Quarter for a while, came back, worked at the TV station again. Then I began painting murals for oh, like uh, restaurants and homes and churches and, and, and so on, you know, private, private rooms, private, private, uh, 
residences and such. Uh, did that for a long time. Eventually moved to Dallas and went to work uh, as a creative director in a wax museum, which was another great dream of mine, to work as a wax in, in a wax museum. That was a great, great fun. And uh, along the way, one of the wax museums we designed burned to the ground, so I got to design a brand new wax museum in its stead, designed a few Ripley Believe It or Not museums along the way, uh, in association with that. Started my own company, eventually. That's uh, amazing. Which, yeah, which, which specialized, this is at the beginning of the 90s, specialized in Halloween design consultation for theme and amusement parks across the country and for private uh, venues as well. So did that. Then needed to needed to expand my horizons, and uh, I had met the CEO of Sally Corporation named John Wood. I'd met him back in 1986 when he toured the wax museum I was working in. We became uh, good acquaintances. I would see him every year at the at the great uh, tr- the, the big trade show for the amusement industry called IAPA. That stands for the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. I would see him there, and he said, hey, one of these days, maybe we ought to work together. So one of those days, I finally called him, and I said, hey, I'm ready to talk about maybe doing some work for you somehow. So I came down to Jacksonville, Louisiana from Dallas and uh, did an interview, and uh, they hired me as a designer for Sally. And I moved my entire life from Dallas to Jacksonville, which is where I have been ever since, and at Sally Corporation ever since. Um, so that's kind of a, that's a quickie overview uh, over uh, and and so I just developed you know it just one thing led to another oh I did tons of theater ton, along the way tons of um, stage productions I designed I wrote I acted in uh, community theater stuff uh, and all of that all of that rolled into all that experience rolled into what I do now in my job at Sally Corporation so all of these things in the past basically congealed into one big happy ball, I guess, and that I that I enjoy working with uh, here at Sally. And what exactly do you do at Sally? I know you've talked to me a little bit about it, but... Yep, yep. Uh, my title is Vice President Creative Design. And as part of the design department, I am in charge of helping uh, develop and uh, design dark ride attractions and amusement and theme parks all over the world. Uh, I'm currently working on a project for a small theme park uh, uh, up north that is a, a dark ride, which this particular park wants to wants to do. And so I am in the process of, of writing that dark ride, uh, laying out the rooms of that dark ride for you know, is uh, coming up with the ideas of what you'll see in the dark ride, what happens to you, what you're going to hear. It's also going to be interactive. Uh, when you go through, you will you will have a little blaster which will make things happen in the ride along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, all aspects of that, anima- animatronic characters, which we do here at Sally Corporation, we're known worldwide for our very excellent animatronic, uh, lifelike characters. We will uh, so part of part of what I do here is exactly that, which is take from a client's dream and help create a reality via the design of a uh, dark ride attraction. That's basically what I do. 
It sounds like a truly rewarding job, and it seems like it combines the best of what you enjoy to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was was kind of tailor-made, you know. Um, Ever since I went through the first dark rides at at, uh, at, uh, Disneyland, as I had mentioned earlier, I wanted, you know, I wanted to grow up and, and do that kind of stuff, and um, uh, I've always enjoyed that form of entertainment, and uh, so I'm very fortunate now to be able to do that. I'm glad you get to do that. So just kind of reflecting on what you've done kind of leading up to this moment, what, do you, what can you say that art has given you from a holistic standpoint? <clears throat> well... Art certainly is a is a is a way to express yourself. It's a way to express whatever kind of art one may do, whether it's music, whether it's painting or drawing, whether it's dancing, acting, telling stories, pantomime, whatever it may be, art and art forms are, are a way to get this, get your feelings out, to get your story out. Sometimes it is purely for entertainment. Sometimes it's to pass on a message of some sort. But it is a it is a way to release all of this from you because you can have you a person can have the greatest ideas in the world, the most profound thoughts in the world. But if nobody knows it, if no if you can't share that somehow, then you know you can enjoy it. But then why not be able to share it? Art is one way to be able to share it. The form, different forms and techniques of art. Uh, so, from a holistic standpoint, it is a, in my opinion, it is a, uh, a very valid and healthy way for self-expression. That's beautiful. I definitely can agree with that as well. I've always viewed art as being something that's unique to everyone, but can be interpreted by everyone. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely, and and sometimes the art that, that people do can't readily be interpreted. It can't, it can't, you know, it's not obvious. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's very enigmatic. These 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 pieces that I have over at the Pontypool production are, are are fairly enigmatic. If you just look at them when you go in the theater, they're just words. It's a word like um, simple, a word like uh, briar. A word like kill, a word like kiss, uh, a word like simple, um, uh, and sam- sample. And then um, when you see the play and you come back out, there are these, these pieces with these words. And because of the play, you're suddenly seeing these words in a different light. You're suddenly seeing them in a completely different light than you were when you went in. So that was part of the subject of that show. But basically, it's a way of expression. It's just a way of expression. So I always ask two questions to close it whenever I have a guest on the podcast. The first right. question is kind of an introspection question, and the, the following question is more of a futuristic in general kind of question. So the first question that I have for you is if you could do... Any artistic thing, when you think about all the things you have done, is there any particular thing that you still want to do that you haven't done yet artistically? Oh, absolutely. And, and um, you know, there's the whole list, really. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I think that would be play a musical instrument. 
play a musical instrument. Uh, I'm, I'm just not musical. I mean, I love music. I understand music. I listen to music, obviously. Uh, but I've never had an aptitude for playing music. Oh, I, I'm killer on a kazoo. I'm telling you, I can do, I can, I can, I'm great on a kazoo. In fact, way back in my, in my, in my mid twenties, I organized a kazoo band. And, uh, and you know what the greatest song to play on the kazoo is? What the is greatest it? song of all. And maybe, maybe a lot of your younger years listeners may not remember this song, but it's from South Pacific, the musical South Pacific. That's a great musical. Called, the song is Some Enchanted Evening. It's a beautiful song. It's a love song. Play that on a kazoo. Oh, my heavens. You're in heaven. It's just, it's just so wonderful. I'm going to try. It's just so wonderful. It's, it's right behind another uh, the disc I have at home that I played for some friends just this last week called Yodeling the Classics. And it's Australia's greatest female yodeler mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yodeling the William Tell Overture and other pieces of <laughs> famous music. <laughs> oh, okay. I never really wanted to yodel, but I did want to play music. And, and uh, it's just one of those things that if I could snap my fingers and, and suddenly uh, be able to play the piano. I have so many friends that play the piano, and and I just, it's, I'm so envious of, of that. I have uh, any instrument, really, but uh, that is something that I would like to have done. You have time. I know you'll do it. Now you're making me want to go and get a kazoo and try to play that song from South Pacific. It's it's one, it is so satisfying. You will love it. It's one of my favorite musicals. Um, the The second question that I have for you is with your art, because I know you were inspired heavily by Fantasia and music and other things that have happened throughout your lifetime that have kind of erupted specific feelings in you. What do you want to inspire in other people who look at your artwork? Oh, that's, that is, to me, a very easy question, and that is the freedom to create. The ability to say, I can do it. And even if you've never painted, you've never drawn, you've never done anything artistic like that, and if you've kind of ever wanted to, you have ideas you want to express, writing, you know, write. All, you know, all this... Try out for a play. Get a small role in a play somewhere. Um, sit, go find some paper, get some crayons or some pens or something, and draw. Do something. Get a canvas. Smear paint on it. Feel free to do it. Express yourself. Uh, so many people are seem from these from my conversations are so intimidated to do that. You know, they have these classes where people get together and they, they drink, you know, a couple of gallons of wine per night and, and paint the same painting over and over and over, right? Everybody's painting the same painting, basically. I think, you know, on one hand, it's, it, you know, it's, it's yeah, okay. But on one hand, it's great because it loosens people up. They, they're in a group. They feel like, okay, maybe they, I, I have a friend that's never painted before and he went to one of those classes. I hung his uh, painting up in my uh, in my house. <laughs> he said, "You're not going to put that up, are you? You're not really <laughs> going to put that up. You're not. You please, Drew." And I went, "No, I am, and I did, and it's up in one of my rooms." And um, uh, and I thought, I just think it's so cool that you did that. Uh, so, yeah. So, if I had to, in answer to your question, 
my my big deal is create. Don't be intimidated to do it. Go do something. Uh, don't say you can't. Say you can, and say that you will. That is one thing I've always wanted to inspire in people is is uh, the the creative spirit. That's a beautiful message to send out, and I think it's something that a lot of people could benefit from because there is a lot of apprehension whenever someone's approaching something new or just something artistic. Um, I'm not the best painter, but I still paint. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, doesn't. No, who is who is the best painter? I mean, you know, there is no such thing. There are people with, I mean, you know, people paint different techniques, different styles, different everything, and and uh, I mean, think of think of, for example, Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock threw paint at canvases. True, you know, very true. big globs and dribbles of paint at canvases. I mean, who can't do that? But you know what? He did it at the time where people thought that was really amazing. His work is in museums. It's basically priceless, and 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 that isn't that did, that didn't particularly require, um, you know, superb drawing skills. Now he may have had that. I don't know if he did or not. But what he did was creative. It was in a self-expression. People understood it as that, and say, "Wow, this is really great." You know, one thing that does really just gall me <laughs> is, is when people see a piece of art like let's for example an abstract piece of art but just color just shapes just imagery no 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 distinct image just just color and shapes and design and and they go oh that's i could have done that you know my response to them is well why aren't you it's easy to sit there and look at something and and, and think well that's easy when was the last time that person did something? So my, my advice to them is, is to be, I want to be very positive with them and say, then, then do it. See what you can do. Get yourself a canvas. Do something with it. And uh, so I, my, my, my message there is everyone has the ability to get up and do something like that. And I think whether it's professional or whether it's just for fun, express yourself creatively. I think that's a beautiful thing to do. I think so also. Um, and it's it's really been a pleasure talking to you as well. It's it's amazing kind of glimpsing your vision and you you have a lot of wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Well I you know, I've I've uh I've I've been very, very blessed with a with a with a a, a very happy life overall. And um and you know, it's important to try to share that with other people. Not everyone has been as fortunate in some areas and and um uh, so I think it's up to the people that 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 have enjoyed some nice things along the way uh, to be able to share with others their their learning, their background, their experiences, but mainly to inspire them, inspire them to to uh, stretch their abilities, stretch themselves. I think that's so important. It is important, and I I think that you're doing a good job at doing that. I I can't wait to see. Um, your exhibit, and also to see Pontypool as well. Thanks. Uh, hey, I got, I got, have I got time for one quick little story about that? Oh, sure, I do, absolutely. Okay, uh, I got to tell you this, and I, uh, this, this was really strange. And I've told this to a number of friends, and I don't, I don't quite understand how this happened, but it's directly related to the Pontypool exhibit. As I mentioned earlier, I, I selected twelve words. To do in the uh, to do for the show, mm -hmm. uh, and 
So a number of nights before I was to hang the exhibit, somehow I discovered I had done 13. I had 13 panels. That's interesting. How did that yes. happen? I, well, you know, I didn't quite know. Uh, <laughs> I had them. I had them in my garage. I had them downstairs in my house. I had them up in my studio. So somehow or another, uh, I created an extra panel on another piece of wood I had cut out. Okay. So the last two pieces I was working on up in my studio several nights before to finish up several nights before the uh, exhibition was to hang. Um, One of the pieces was an oval-shaped piece of wood about three feet across uh, and maybe about uh, uh, 25 inches high or so, an oval. I had painted the background on it. I had painted a design on the background. The word I was going to paint on that sign was, um, uh, gosh, what was the word, Um, was drum, D-R-U-M drum right that was one of the words that was given to me on the list Mm -hmm. i sit down to paint the word this is actually absolutely true i sit down to paint the word i have music playing i have a cat lying down there on the floor you know all is peaceful and um i began painting it's you know drum four letters right so i paint first letter i paint the second letter i paint the third letter midway through the fourth letter i looked and I had painted the word bomb. That's true. B-O-M-B. Dramatically different from... Uh, yeah, still four letters. And I went, I sat there, and I went, where in the world did this come from? I wasn't thinking about bomb. I wasn't thinking about bomb. What a strange... Where did that come from? That word's not on the list. I was going to paint Trump. And I just sat there. I was almost like in a trance or something. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would, why did I do that? I just did the weirdest thing. So I figured, well, I'm going to paint the whole thing out. But I went, no, 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 no. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to finish it. And I'm going to put it in the show. Because, uh, and if you, if you read in, in, in the, at, the, at the play, uh, in, in the lobby, I have a little, a little uh, framed blurb about the exhibit. And I explain part of this. I, didn't, I don't explain that whole story, but I explained the, that one of the 13, I have 13 pieces in the show now. One of the pieces is not a word heard in the play. But if it were, how would that have been interpreted via the story of the play? <laughs> so I went ahead and used it. Now, the other weird part of this was the next day, after I painted that word, decided to use it. The next day was the day that all of a sudden they began discovering these pot bombs delivered all over the United States. That's really this, ironic. This is just last week, right? And um, they discovered all the you know being sent to various you know various people, various uh, high profile politicians, and and so on across the country. And and I went, was something communicating? I mean, I woke up the next morning and began reading that in the news, in the, in the, in the on, online about those pipe bombs being delivered, and I went, "Why did I paint that word last night? Where did that come from?" I have no answer. I don't know. That is really interesting. There's um, 
And there's been people throughout history that have that have had instances not exactly like that and maybe in completely different ways. But um, I've I've heard people who study energy and vibration say that sometimes our subconscious will kind of bring out foreshadowing things that are going to happen. So that's something what... something could have communicated. It could have been a total coincidence. But I still have yet, even without that angle to the story, why did I paint that word instead of drum? I don't know. It makes me even more interested to see it. It's one of the stranger things that's happened to me in a long time. I have no, usually I can trace something back and go, oh, this is why that happened, or this is some influence, or, you know, something. This one, I haven't a clue. Don't know. It sounds like it was definitely an adventure because it was already a different style from what you were used to. And to have that happen, maybe, I don't know, maybe your subconscious is spilling into your consciousness a little bit more. I don't know. Which is pretty cool. And it was. The whole whole experience was different. So that was kind of just icing on the cake (laughs) to really make it unique. It's it's been it's been such a pleasure speaking with you as well. And I because Likewise. you you do really wonderful work and I kind of want everybody else to kind of be able to experience that work as well. If other individuals and in, people listening wanted to find out more about you and how to look at your artwork, what would they have to do and where would they have to go? Uh go take a look at uh art. DrewEdwardHunter.art. And you'll see a selection of, I think, 12 of my paintings. I'm going to be adding to that within the next number of months. And um, uh, you'll see a number of, uh, if you inspect the site, you'll, you'll find some of the paintings that you discussed, which was the uprooted. And um, the other one with the, the tree that was uh, you described called Banded, <clears throat> which, by the way, was a tree in Sweden. Oh, was it? Uh, yes, it's in Sweden. It's in uh, it's in Stockholm. Uh, we did a lot of work at a, a music park there called Gronolund, mm-hmm. and it's right up the hill from Gronolund. That tree is there. Every time I go over there, uh, I've been over there many, many times. I go up and visit the tree, and uh, I've seen it in the spring and I've seen it in the snow. Uh, the painting is depicting it uh, in the winter. Uh, in reality, if you look past the tree, there's buildings down there and other trees and a lot of, you know, stuff like that. I, I omitted all of that and just did that, uh, a suggestion of some other trees in the background, but also the that fluid, cloudy sky that you've mentioned. Um, so, but that tree is really there. It's in Sweden. Um, and uh, it's, it just struck me that the tree just spoke to me when I first saw it. So I had to take photographs of it and do a painting of it. It's it's beautiful. It um I stared at it for a very long time. Like probably longer than I should have, but it was it it started to change in fluidity and scene at least for me the longer I stared at it. But you know, I I'm blown away by your work. I'm so excited that we got to talk as well. I always enjoy meeting individuals who are artistic creative and they want to share that with other people so thank you so much that's right that's what we're here for is to share and and communicate and such and you've asked some great questions and uh you know you have an open invitation let me know when you want to come over and uh i'll give you a thorough tour of the Druseum. 
I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I definitely will let you know because it's something I'm definitely wanting to do. But thank you so much for your time. And thank you for, you know, coming on the podcast and speaking with me as well. My pleasure. It's been a delight. Thank you. Right. Thank you.